everyone. Hello and welcome to the December edition of Expanding Horizons. Yes, we did miss a month there due to real life taking priority. My name is LB and joining me as always is CT. Hey there. So if you're not familiar with this podcast yet, allow me to fill you in on the concept. CT and I have watched a lot of anime over the years, but since it's impossible to watch everything, we have gaps in our anime databases that need to be filled, and so that's where this podcast comes in. Uh, Every month, CT and I recommend a series from anime history that the other person has yet to see for whatever reason. Uh, We then go off and watch the show and meet after a month to discuss what we saw. This month, I took on the 2014 JC Staff series Witchcraft Works, while CT watched another Android with a limited amount of time left to live series, which (laughs) is kind of a very specific genre for there to be multiple series of, but whatever. Uh, but it's from 2001 and was animated by Shaft, uh, with a helping hand from Gynax, uh, Mahoromatic. As always, here's your warning that there will be spoilers about these series thrown around during our discussion, including the endings, because, yeah, Mahoromatic has an ending. Yeah. <laughs> But, okay, we're going to go ahead, we're going to start with Witchcraft Works. Uh, I want to go ahead and just give some quick background on this one, a little introduction of the story. So this one is based on a manga. Uh, The anime was produced in 2014 by JC Staff and is essentially a damsel in distress story. The big twist, however, is that the one who needs to be saved is an average high school boy, and the one who is saving him is the female is the female school princess or school idol, whichever you want to call her. Uh, at first, it confuses him as to why he's being fawned over by the school idol, and it causes him no shortage of grief from her fan club, but eventually he learns that she is a witch, and he has been granted an incredible power inside of him that must be protected at all costs from a rival faction of witches who want to get to him for their own purposes and goals. Uh, so, with this series... Uh, again, just a little bit of introduction. This is a series that I've been wanting to watch for quite a few years. I picked it up when it was first airing, but I put it on hold after only a couple of episodes. I honestly don't remember why. Uh, I did know that it had a pretty stellar reputation among its fans. Uh, basically, anytime I brought up this series on social media over the last month, I got at least one person commenting saying uh, (laughs) how good the show was uh and yeah i mean i agree it was a very good show um i'm not sure i'm gonna i'm gonna place it up as one of the tops of the decade but yeah it was very good it's good to hear uh the uh i i i guess my my first question would be i assume you rewatched all of it you didn't just uh, uh, continue from no, where you I left off. No, I watched all of it. Right. I, I did remember that this was one of those where you had put it on hold, so uh, it's definitely worthwhile to, to go through. Um, what did you get specifically out of just uh, episode one? As a, how how was your one episode test? Did it differ from a three episode test and from the series as uh, a whole? Basically, the first episode really it caught my attention. I really enjoyed uh, seeing them set up the story really quickly. They got to the point very fast. Uh, which is always a good thing. I hate it when a series kind of drags it out to three or to four or five episodes before you really know what's going on. So I was really glad that this series um, went ahead and set up the story really quickly. The the reason that I uh, it, it probably doesn't it sound like it had the same sort of impact. The reason I stated it the way that I did is this is 
quite possibly it may not it may or may not be my favorite first episode of an anime because uh, there are a lot of anime, of course, that have a great turn at the end of episode one that gives a lot of appreciation. But I, I can tell you for certain that this was that it was definitely episode one that sold me on just watching the show no matter what. And it was probably the biggest just gut laughing that I had as everything was building up uh, uh tempopos uh you know armored bunny armies uh just the 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 subversions the ridiculousness the but the very ending of the episode wherein they're like oh here here comes the uh transfer student trope and it's going to be her showing up in class but no it's not her it's five of them <laughs> they're all enemy witches uh, <laughs> and then it goes into what might be one of my favorite, uh, EDs of, uh, of all time, but I, I definitely love the ending. So I remember it really sticking in my brain, uh, cause I was just laughing for so long with that whole, you know, ridiculous level of setup. Because it had it had so many you know of the normal tropes and then the subverted ones. You got a sense of the power level. You got a sense of the conflict. But more to the point, it sold the utter ridiculousness that you had to prepare yourself for right at the end of episode one, uh, and then just stuck it in with with how fiendishly catchy that uh, that ED is. So that's. This has a particular distinction for me Honestly, from an episode I one just standpoint. To not necessarily automatically disagree with you. I have to say that I preferred the opening theme over the closing theme. The closing theme was good, but I really liked the opening theme by Fauna. Uh, I thought that it was really catchy and it sounded so different from like their Dragon Maid theme, for instance. So I just thought that that was really interesting. But yeah, the, the closing theme, now that I think back on it, is kind of catchy. But yeah, I preferred the opening theme. Well, you, you can't hardly go wrong with Fauna as opposed to uh, a group of voice actors singing stuff. But the, uh, but the song is great. The fact that it keeps building up over time through mm. each of the 12 episodes, they add more people to the ending. That's another thing that that I love about that, but I meant specifically the the whole end of the episode. Oh, yeah. and I wasn't really comparing the the ending to the opening, but in the in the long run, I do have more appreciation for the for the ending. I'm not sure where the opening would be on my 2014 list. Yeah, so getting into the actual content <laughs> but, uh, of the reasonably series, high, um, I do have to ask. Were they really, like, intentionally going for that monogatari vibe? Because, like, especially around episode three or four, the bathroom scene with the little sister and the hair blow-drying and everything, it just, it gave me such strong monogatari vibes that I actually had to look up the staff and everything to see if anybody who had worked on this show had worked on that series as well. No, yeah. uh, Shaft is in the other show, isn't it? So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, I I didn't get specifically that, but you you are certainly right in that you have like the overboard. In this case, the sister is of the overpoweringly protective type and that's not really the the tropes being played out in in monogatari uh from either of the sisters they you know they're tight with each other and their sibling rivalry but this one is you know a younger uh sister with such an enormous uh brother complex that it is uh tremendously uh, yeah, uh I mean... stifling uh, but of course, in in the entertaining way. Uh, so there, there are other uh, anime that I would uh, that I would think more specifically for it. But I certainly get the you know the the feeling that if you're 
you know, fawning over each other in a bathroom, as it were, then uh, you have some of those yeah, scenes I mean, in, in Monogatari. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so much that, the uh, content that, that you reminded me of Monogatari. It was kind of just the visuals and the color scheme that kind of got to me, that kind of made me feel like I was watching something that had been influenced. Um, I'm not saying that they were copying each other or anything it's just the overall vibe the color the the general idea of what of the bathroom scene for instance that was where i was getting the monogatari so all right the other thing i want I to can bring see up that. about this series and you may disagree with me on this is the cast of characters was really entertaining but there were definitely times where I felt like some of the characters were kind of extraneous. Like the girls of the llama, did, did they, yeah, did they serve any real purpose other than the, <laughs> the occasional team. laugh? Because yeah. uh, I don't remember them doing anything particularly important throughout the run of the show. No, they, they don't. The, the cast is very large in this generally speaking, and I think it served the purpose of just leaning on the importance of, uh, uh, what is it, uh, of Takamiya as a character and this particular city and how many people you need to, uh, to defend it and what, uh, it gave a sense of power scale and it gave some differences in the, the gags they could use one way or the other. So the, the llama served some amusing gag purpose. Uh, and in a way, I think you needed them still in the antagonist camp considering Tampopo and, and her quintet of tower witches ended up becoming allies of a weird sort fairly quickly. But that, you know, that's kind of the same thing. The threats are all very ambiguous and weird. And you see people getting, you know, one-upped and taken over. And it's like, ah, oh, Medusa's gang is there. Then Medusa's there. Then Medusa's captured and, and willingly captured. And then, uh, you know, whatever Cronoir <laughs> has her own thing and her silly alligator thing. Everyone has these little pets as well. It is sort of a ridiculous amount of characters, but whereas a, a show perhaps like Do Da 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 has too many characters that don't get carried by the story, but you feel should be in there, you know, I think you know from the the front that a whole lot of these serve similar purpose and just serve to be new phases and new situations, uh, but don't really need to have character development or uh, you know a a strong. Okay, arc I just wanted to make sure that stuff. I wasn't Some like missing something to get run over like, like a really speed bump. vastly so. important, especially with those characters, because yeah, they definitely felt like by the end, I was wondering why they were still appearing in the show. I don't. Well, that it, it makes sense to a degree, but as you sort of implied in the beginning by saying Mahermatic had an ending, witchcraft works is one of those that does not have an ending. It has an arc conclusion. The manga is still ongoing. We may never get a season two of, of Witchcraft Works, which would be a, a shame, generally speaking, because I I think the overall quality and amusingness of of the uh, of the show will be worthwhile. If you can have... How many seasons of Bungo Stray Dogs do we have right now? Like four? Yeah. So if you can get that, I think you should be able to pull this up as well and, and give them some more. That it, in many ways, uh, this has a very strong feeling of Bungo Stray Dogs for me because there's, you know, there's a, a huge number of random people doing random things. The conflict is truly... Uh, uh, you know, an impressively huge scale and people seem to have these blood rivalries against each other, but no one really dies. <laughs> Nothing really happens. It's it's just kind of ridiculous amounts of uh, uh, destruction reset back to the beginning and 
you know, some people are hopping around and you, and you get more jokes and amusement out of it. So uh, it, it has a very similar feel for me. And, and therefore, I, I certainly hope we get more. It, it, it feels like so it's been a few too many years for a show ending, like this really, to be given really a quick season two. I need to go but, ahead and I need to give props to this series for its final episode. Not the OVA. I didn't watch the OVA because it wasn't available on Crunchyroll. Um, but while most of the series was really, you know, as you said, lighthearted and just lots of mindless destruction that gets reset back to square one by the next episode, uh, the final episode of this series, I found it to be really quite intense and it really sucked me in despite the fact that throughout the last like third of the series, I was having a little bit of trouble following everything that was going on. Yeah, the the conflict with Weekend, who's their antagonist for the last three, builds up to a good place. And and you seem to get some things, especially knowing it's the last episode. And for people who aren't familiar with the source or anything that goes on, you could see that maybe there would be some permanent consequences to, uh, to what goes on in uh, some way, shape, or form. So they, they do sell it well. It ultimately does reset the clock again uh you have development between uh takami and kagari but uh uh and and you have sort of promise as to what's going to come down the line but uh in in the doing it at least seemed to to do it in a in a fashion that you feel could uh, uh, live up to the uh, so, yeah, drama I mean, they were so actually overall, spiking some scenes I with. enjoyed this show. I'm glad that I watched it. I'm glad that you recommended it to me. Um, it lasted just the perfect amount of time. It didn't run too long. It didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, I thought that 12 episodes was just perfect for this series. Uh, if it got a season two eventually, someday, maybe, I would probably watch it. Uh, but yeah, this was definitely, you know, one of the better shows that I've watched this year. So I'm glad that I went back to it. Good, 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 good. Uh, but before we move off from certain things, uh, I, I found an odd parallel between, or not really parallel, but comparison between this and, and Maharomatic as far as the studio goes, because JC Staff is not really one of those that I tend to think of for a whole lot of high quality action, good visuals that that carry through dramatic scenes good uh uh what is it editing good uh, yeah i mean this show, in but terms of its from a quality level i, I think this show the way that was it looked pretty overall, damn high, i would rank it right up there with like index or railgun uh as one of the better shows that they've done this decade uh, uh they have a a high quality wiener scene as well so <laughs> From uh, from episode one, man. Mm -hmm. uh, but the the main reason that I mention it is, of course, Shaft is one of my favorite studios, and they were involved in Maharomatic. But as we'll get into, I, I don't think the quality between the two shows compares in any particular way, except occasional glimpses of uh, uh, of brilliance from a, a few fight scenes. In Maharomatic, but the general quality that they, they they don't line up uh, in the way that I would mentally tend to rank the studios. So, yeah, that's true. makes me wonder but how much was your... you know end stage, you know Gynax, and how much was uh, Shafts involved. Uh, but since you're bringing it up, let's go ahead. Let's move. I didn't look into how much I of their hybridization was going about on. witchcraft works. Was there any other questions that you wanted to ask or anything? I don't remember her uh, name, but the little sister. I don't know if there were questions. I I guess uh, you know the usual. Uh, yeah, who is best girl? She was hilarious. I like her. 
Yeah, I liked oh. her. I loved that in episode uh, five. The mom actually called her out on her. She she was definitely pretty good. And I, told I, her to basically shut up. I loved that. Um, so yeah, but yeah, definitely little sister character was best girl this time <laughs> around. Might have to give it to uh, uh, Tanpopo, who gets a very strong introduction gets to be a, a fairly amusing foil and i enjoyed the weirdness to her voice so uh i forget if there are any key roles that uh that she plays in that you know the the weirdness uh, the weird lilt to uh to her voice generally but uh yeah she's definitely I think entertaining and uh, I big armored fluffy bunnies fluffy bunny soldiers and the friendship that gets established between the teddy bear and the bunny soldier at the end yeah that was that was <laughs> really good that was great <laughs> right at the end it's like uh, you know i have but you you have to do it you have to strike me for for your master <laughs> punches them into the stratosphere and Tempopo. Uh, uh, again, she leaves, she effectively leaves the show almost. She does get a scene later, but he's like, how did this happen? <laughs> She's flying off. Uh, her, her plan B works very well in uh, a lot of situations, which is strategic retreat, being carried away by your buddies. Uh, the, I don't know if you looked up the director, by the way, but I found it kind of surprising just how many things that this director has done that I uh, rather, rather really enjoy. You, uh, I what, did look. Up, the... I did look up the director. Mm -hmm. I saw that they directed a few interesting things, like another and some other things. This was definitely not exactly what I probably would have expected from the director since he's done things like another and prison school and things of that sort. Well, uh, girls and Panzer, squid girl, oh. a tiny little show called Shirabako. Oh yeah. I didn't even notice those on his resume. Uh, I should have, but blood, blood sea, the second season of Genshiken, Haringu, uh, what, However, the heck you're supposed to pronounce uh, XXX Holic? Yeah, it's, I never remember. It's just Holic. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> but it feels it feels like it's it's missing a thing if you only call it Holic. Yeah, that's true. Friggin' Joshiraku. <laughs> so, yeah, no, a ton of uh, good stuff, and all over the map too. I mean, you can certainly get the uh, you can you can see that a number. A number of them have, you know, the good humor pacing that was used well in the, the course of the series. So uh -huh. it, uh, I think it worked out. So, all right, let's go ahead. Let's move along to Mahoromatic. Uh, so, what, what was that? Oh, was it, was I supposed to watch something? <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, uh, before we get into the background and story for this one, uh, so just out of curiosity, uh, why, how did you miss this one when it was first released? It was released on DVD originally back in like 2003-ish, so, you know, it's a little older than Witchcraft Works. I... Uh... Yeah, did I, I think I've mentioned it before, and you've you've stuck a number of things that were right in. There's a, a period of time in the early 2000s that uh, I used to be staffing at Otakon, and weird stuff happened, and you know, kind of dopey politics and other stuff. So I got out of the uh, staffing scene, and it led me also out of the paying much attention to anime scene generally. So I stopped picking up stuff. Uh, uh, at that point, I was still probably making VHS trips to, to Chinatown, but the uh, and DVDs were very expensive, so I wasn't likely to get those. And until my friend kind of pulled me back in with Haruhi, I did not... Uh, I, I didn't watch much of anything. I sort of stopped 
at uh, Abenobashi, uh, magical shopping district Abenobashi, which amusingly the director of Maharmatic did, uh, <laughs> and then picked up again with uh, Bludgeoning Angel Dokoro-chan, but specifically Haruhi Tsuzumiya pulled me back into weave mode. And not, not entirely unhaving to do with the fact that it was getting a lot cheaper to buy things on DVD, but more specifically to download them from the internet. It just, you know, became trivial to pirate and catch and catch new things. But that meant there was a period of time where I wasn't really paying attention to, to media or the releases. And I didn't really go and backfill a whole lot of it. So like, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Black Lagoon. Okay, yep, like no worries. So, alright, for those who have not seen this show, what is this show about? What is some of the background for it? Fill us in. This show is about an android. I'm trying to think of just how many tropes the, the show tries to wedge together, but... It is a it it is a uh, combat android working for an organization called Vesper, which is effectively a uh, alien technology powered human hybrid uh, secret society controls uh, uh, you know you know many many things, but. Uh, they they fight secret wars that uh, because of control over the media no one on earth knows about but uh, the 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 earth was visited by aliens back in the 60s and since that time there have been the conflicts going on between aliens uh, represented by an organization called saint and uh, the the earth illuminati equivalent called the, the management and then these vesper folks between and our combat android uh uh effectively fights her way through many battles and gets to the end where if she continues to fight she won't have any operational time left so they allow her to retire and uh she, she's allowed to essentially do whatever she would want for the final remaining year of her activity, and apparently what she wants <laughs> is to join a rom-com harem. So, uh... <laughs> so she goes to work as a maid for, uh, what is it? Uh, Suguru Misato. A kind of, you know, ge generally worthless middle schooler schlub uh, living in, in semi-squalor, hence the reason that he needs a, a maid uh, because he's lost his parents. There is darkness behind there that will be revealed over time. Uh, but he's been living by himself, and he's been uh, letting the house degrade and generally just going to school and vaguely being kept, uh, uh, you know, in, in happier mode by his friends at school who, who adopt him in a certain way. They, they seem to have a tight friendship with him, knowing about the fact that he's effectively an orphan at this point. The whole Japan thing where kids live on their own uh, way, way, way more often than you'd think they would. <laughs> but so he uh, looks for a maid and he happens to uh, attract this uh, super maid who is a powerful combat android, but he does not know it for at least a couple episodes. And the show proceeds to be <laughs> a very confused mixture <laughs> of uh, showing nipples and boobs all over the place. So it's a, it's a fairly etchy rom-com when it wants to be. 
uh, it has, you know, the, uh, the secret societies fighting behind the scenes, getting her into combat. It has the looming time clock of we know that uh, Mahara doesn't have much lifespan left. Uh, they're the secrets being kept from uh, uh, Misato-kun. And uh, so it kind of alternates between, uh, you know, setup and some plot. Here's a combat thing. And then five episodes of, you know, normal school rom-com hijinks things occasionally interspersed with this new super and super powered android that wants to fight Maho because they they did not, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, complete knowing who was the best on the battlefield. So he's got to seek her out and, uh, and attempt to defeat her. And then there are scientists that want to know about the secret weapons that uh, she possesses. And uh, it, it's all very weird. <laughs> totally, this, this thing is all over the map. Not, not just, uh, you know, the, the number of, you know, things you recognize from other shows being all mixed together. But uh, generally, the the tone uh, will wildly fluctuate, and you you just kind of have to grab and hold on, and uh, a, a, and make your way through, and figure out where they're they're so going to land one sooner or another. I'm gathering from your tone and the previous conversations that we've had that this wasn't your favorite show that I've recommended to you. Not by most long shots. There, there, <laughs> there's one particular character that, uh, I mean, we, we have the androids that come in, uh, we have his friends and other stuff, and, and naturally all of his friends seem to have some, uh, uh, you know, feelings that they've been hiding from him, his... His uh, oldest childhood friend who works at the bathhouse nearby, no, no hijinks can happen at the bathhouse, surely, uh, who's never been able to, uh, you know, confess to him over the years. Some other character who, who you don't think has a thing for him, but be, for merit of her existing in the friend group, she has to have a thing for him. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> it... It it uh, you have your normal pile of stuff, but you have the homeroom teacher that all of these students have, uh, Shikijo Sensei, whose voice I have not heard in mm -hmm. a long time. I I should have tried to sound more like Alec Guinness there, but uh, Shikijo Sensei amusingly has an iconic voice specifically for me probably for anyone from a certain time period of getting into anime uh which i had not even realized that she didn't do a whole lot uh, uh yumi takata is the voice actress's name but her biggest part was ayaka from tenchi muyo and tenchi muyo is one of those you know things that loomed gigantic back in uh you know early 90s uh, uh the the anime fandom uh early mid 90s <laughs> it was it was tremendously huge her singing voice is awful <laughs> her but her speaking voice is the ojoiest of ojo sama oh, ho, ho. Uh, laughing <laughs> voice actresses. And one, once she was settled with that part, I'm like, okay, well, I know exactly what she's going to be like in attitude, except she <laughs> is trying to nail this middle schooler the whole damn time. She has an extreme Shota complex. I don't know how old, uh, what is it, uh, Misato is supposed to be, but middle school, so 14 at the oldest, I guess. Uh, and I'm used to a lot of shows having, your, you know, your, your Shotas and your gigantic-breasted characters. 
in some manner of, uh, you know, risque stuff that most people would find reasonably objectionable. Let, let's say to an extreme, uh, you, you mentioned Dragon Maid before due to the uh, Fauna <laughs> yeah. connection, but of course uh, you have Lukoa and a goddamn kid named Shota in there. But she's doing the teasing thing. And you get a lot of things where there's a teacher who is either oblivious or knowingly sexy and all of the students lust after her and she's an object of uh, etchiness in there. But largely the teacher is not trying to spread her legs before the wave motion cannon of uh, of his love and fantasizing like every episode with with a thing she and the uh, uh, uh Baharo are <laughs> always at odds with each other the other students just roll their eyes oh teacher <laughs> but she literally wants to fuck that kid all the time and i'm like you know what <laughs> Maybe that's not a thing that I, <laughs> that you can sell from the humor direction. I'm not even sure there was a day that you could sell that particular approach. I can't think of another show that had specifically something like that. You would have like the teacher-student romance possibilities in one thing or another, but I'm not really sure you had uh, uh, a teacher for a student in her class just constantly... <laughs> in the uh, uh, lust mode as just stretching it. So even though, even though the show itself like has tonal mapping all over the place, the extreme of Shikijo Sensei and how often she's just in there, she she's hanging with those same students all the time because Misato is there, so therefore she has to be there. Uh, uh, hanging out his, his taking baths at his house. Uh, so that she represents, you know, the the more outlandish and etchy uh, side of the rom com rompishness to it, and just the 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 general distaste for the character and that setup and how often it swings in that direction. It. it I just I just can't you know map to that. It, it's not even a like a these days thing and a being woke thing and a uh, appreciating uh, something or another. I can't remember shows that that did anything like that. That you know, twenty years ago, I was like, oh he 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 he. So, I, <laughs> and to and to relate because I had mentioned that and you're like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot about her. <laughs> How on earth can you forget this character? From your perspective, how did you not factor her in to the uh, to the recommendation specifically, or to, or to making a comment about it, to couching? Honestly, it had been okay. So when I first watched this show, it was about five or so years ago, maybe a little bit more than that, on the original incarnation of this podcast on another website. And this show got recommended to me because I like Shaft shows, and so someone pointed it out to me that I hadn't watched this one yet. So I watched it, and honestly... Because it had been a few years, I remembered all the really good things about this show. I personally still find Mohoro really charming and cute and just a really fun character. But I had completely blocked the teacher out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. It, uh, it, it seems hard to... That seems like a anime challenge mode. You're like, oh, there here are all of these things that I like about this, and there, here's this one character that's that dominant of a role, and it's like, ah, and just shift her out of it. Yeah, I just, I don't, I can't say that I did it on purpose, but I definitely just 
had forgotten how overt she was with her lust for the main character. Man, it, I, do, I don't know if there's a way to be less overt. Like, uh, it, it just seems... Whew. Anywho, we can we can get off Shikicho Sensei. I'm not sure I'd be terribly sold on the uh, uh, show even without her intrusion, but it certainly would have been... I think it would have meshed a lot better if I could invest a bit more in the, you know, the rom-com rompishness and just the uh, Misato and Maho just kind of falling for each other slowly over time and uh, all, all of the normal cheesy tropishness to it with occasional intrusions of, oh, here's a serious intrusion from the plot dimension and here's a challenge, and oh, maybe she can get defeated, and oh, maybe she has to, less that she'll be defeated, but more that she might have to burn lifespan to be able to fight off uh, uh, you know, the the bad guy and make it through, which includes Ryuga-sensei. They, they amusingly get to uh, play in to them later and, and have them be humorous, so I enjoyed like, uh, Ryuga is that, uh, uh, what is it, the uh, saint soldier who was her biggest rival on the battlefield and the one who chases her down, and coming to the end of season one, he's the big challenge, and it, it starts to leave the, uh, uh, like, the, the rom-com mode into drama and battle mode as she goes off to fight him off to the side and they, they have their conflicts and then he gets to join the cast as just an amusing dude. Uh, he remains a teacher at the school and joins in and becomes, you know, the reluctant ally to the full on ally over time. That's fine. We, we see that all over and I'm sold on his humor. I enjoy his voice. He, he's got that, voice for of the guy who always does the voices for characters exactly like that guy <laughs> i don't know how to describe it but he's he's that guy <laughs> once i saw his character design i'm like okay yes that voice is the one to use uh ma making amusing jokes later on of him being three years old and his uh his four-year-old sister because of course he was an android put together specifically to fight uh, Mahiro. Yeah. But uh, I, if there were just like two modes that the thing would kind of go between, uh, that that would be one thing. And maybe you could get used to the ups and downs as they're playing them together. But uh, especially at the end, we might as well start burning our way to the end of season two. Yeah, we uh, probably two. should get to that. Season two brings in uh, another android. So uh, Minawa comes in and, and she's... It, it's weird to see her always presented as the clumsy, bumbling, uh, uh, personality-less, extremely shy uh, character type, considering she joins their trying to capture Mahara. She's in service of a uh, baddie scientist, as it were. I, I forget allegiances. I feel like he was in the management, but it seemed like he had a Vesper connection behind there anyway. Uh, I guess all of those, their, their types were management. Uh, but it, it very quickly, it starts with conflict and bringing in another android, then it just goes for a bunch of episodes in, okay, everyone's in school doing their fun school hijinks, and then it works their way back to uh, Manawa being a thing. We're, we're, pulling the, uh, we're, we're pulling all the drama points and the conflict points, and it's like, oh no, here, here's where Vesper and Saint are trying to guide humanity in one direction, and the management won't allow it because big evil human Illuminati sort... Uh, uh, got problems with it. Uh, we, we didn't expressly uh, state it before, but uh, Misato's father was the previous commander 
of Vesper and was himself killed in action directly by Maharo, who had to, he was captured by a thing and she had to destroy the thing, so she effectively had to shoot through him or at least uh, shoot the thing and it explodes, which killed him. So she ends up killing uh, Misato's father. So part of the reason that she, or uh, obviously most of the reason that she goes there to be with him uh, is uh, out of uh, a sense of uh, shame and duty in equal parts, as it were. Even though she's, of course, putting him... Uh, they've kept the secret from Misato. He has no connection to all the going on, and her being there puts him in constant danger from people still hunting her. And it's like, well, shouldn't that have occurred to you? <laughs> but you learn that uh, that his grandfather is also part of their uh, big environment there. And so as we're running up to the end... Uh, grandfather pulls the uh, the cool panther combat droid to go slaughter a whole bunch of the management to uh, who have just assassinated the U.S. president and b- blamed Vesper for it. So there's a lot of uh, uh, you know complete over the top uh, action going on, and we finally get you know a, a big set of okay, people are dying. The, the the, the ambush of the folks at management, uh, the grandfather himself, so now Vesper is down there. Uh, not, their, not their commander, but he was the leader of their faction, as it were. Uh, and uh, Maharo runs away with Misato and gets chased by yet another one of those annoying... Uh, androids who was serving the evil scientist who sent Manawa after her before and wanted to get, you know, data from her. He'd, he'd been fascinated by her data, trying to get to the bottom of the technology, the the secret weapon that she had, these hands of light or whatever the heck they were, I don't remember entirely. And in the end, uh, the, at the second to last episode, Maharo does a sacrifice play to blow up herself and that android, thus effectively eliminating the threats who were getting in the way of uh, uh, of Earth going forward in more of a harmony, not, not in conflict, uh, conflict with the aliens, but to be able to reveal the aliens and get together and, and do stuff. And so the final episode of the show is 20 years later. It's not a 20 years later epilogue to, to an episode. It's a, uh, it's just a 20 years later, there's a human alien. There are a bunch of colonies out there. There are human alien colony things going on. Uh, <laughs> Misato has become an android hunter trying to kill off the remaining threatening factions of anyone with any management allegiance that's out there. And also because he just hates androids. He, he hates their <laughs> stinking Android faces. Uh, he, he was abandoned by Maharo when, when she uh, took herself out. So therefore uh, that's affected him in, in some ways. So uh, he's been busy replacing parts of himself with, uh, you know, cyborg parts so he can actually fight the androids who are, you know, still combat androids out there. Uh, so a lot of that episode is, is him doing hunting things. Then friggin' Shikijo sensei shows up again. She's (laughs) 20 years on. She looks exactly the same. She's, squishing other middle schoolers between her boobs because she took them on a class trip to uh, uh, to space. Uh, they share some back and forth in there. Uh, the, then uh, <laughs> Misato goes on to go about his hunting things. He gets betrayed by his partner and stabbed through and then attacks that guy. And then we just get random exposition off to the side from uh, Ryuga and his 
not leader technically, but the uh, the the saint woman uh, who we've seen behind the scenes, who who feels like their 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 leader. Not they've always been talking about their leader, Michael. Of course, when you are using saint and other stuff, you're going to throw some religious allegory in there as well. Uh, but she's been giving commands and trying to guide things forward. <clears throat> it's just revealed that she and Misato's grandfather were uh, did, did the nasty back in the day, and so <laughs> therefore Misato is a saint, one of the uh, uh, you know first bloodline of saint-human hybrids. Uh, even though that didn't mean anything during the normal plot line, uh, Maharo shows up here as the embodiment of Michael, the actual leader of the aliens. But uh, they're going on a trip to go somewhere. They're, I don't. I guess they're just leaving humanity and their somewhat advanced colonization on their own, or they're taking a faction of Saint. It wasn't terribly clear how much of Saint was leaving, they're going on their own trip, uh, as it were, to leave uh, probably the galaxy and go do their own crap. And uh, then she splits off a Maharo android part, the, the part of her that has memories of Misato and, and the others. She splits that off into a, a now physical entity who's back on the planet, but she has no memories of anything except right up until her point of uh, destruction, one assumes. And so she and Misato meet. Uh, he thinks he's hallucinating. She's trying, I guess, recognizing him and trying to convince him of, of something. And, that, and then what you assume, again, not very clear what's actually going on here, but what, what you're assuming is that they're going to try to be with each other <laughs> in a weird way because they, they go into like let's go back to the town where we all were and we we're all happy and they're they're all hearing like sounds from the other characters it's like they're pretending that they, it's 20 years ago and they're back before they separated from each other uh and in this case uh it feels like they're just kind of living in the memories of each other. You don't get a, a, an idea of where the future lies between them, just that they're sort of in a delusion mode. Uh, <laughs> and that's how the show ends. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, okay, so... I have to admit that when I recommended this show to you, I hesitated a little bit specifically because of the ending of season two. I knew that you were going to hate it. Um, so I hesitated a little bit and I even thought about warning you <laughs> that yeah, season two ends in a not so great way. Uh, but then I, for some reason I didn't. And I decided to just let you discover it for yourself. And yeah, I'm not sure if that was the right decision or not. <laughs> it doesn't matter, of course. The OVAs and other stuff are just side stories that happen, you know, in the middle of... Right after Minawa joined the, the household uh, and other things back when, you know, we were early season two and they could go on more shenanigans with the class as normal. But the, the ending of it is like, just what were you, what were you wanting to say <laughs> by this? Like some of my problems with uh, plastic memories, it delves into certain harder sci-fi concepts in a way that could be explored. Interestingly, but this one was way worse, at least, uh, uh, you know, Plastic Memories was just, uh, there was humor in it, obviously, there were rom-com elements, but more of it was around a uh, drama, and they were experimenting with all of the end-stage things that had a, a fairly singular focus, 
and maybe one that did or did not care for the humor parts of it. Uh, but when you got the like the the real things, what what's a heart? What what are other things? Because Minawa is constantly chasing. She was promised from the evil scientist guy that she could get a heart so that she could feel things, but. Then it's uh, like Maharu is like, well, you're you're feeling bad about betraying us, so no one without a heart would do that. And it's like, what? So I can feel bad with? Her? I wanted to feel happy. <laughs> it's kind of the uh, the implication there. Uh, you have the other, you know, she Manoa is number three seventy of this line of androids, and that other annoying one, Feldrantz. Uh, who who got the sacrifice play to to eliminate him? So you have this giant line of of androids, but no real exploration of what it meant. What were they doing with all of these? You just get you get androids who are by all manner and appearance exactly human, like entirely human looking. They don't do weird stuff. They feel the same. They, they all seem to have personalities, talk about them having heart and soul, as it were, so you're not exploring anything along there. The only thing that you really have is the threat of uh, Mahara's death clock, which, again, is really weird to throw at the end of every episode, because every episode ends with uh, uh, a scene saying, you know, how many days until she shuts down, and then they have a... Uh, the oh my god! What shadow what, what poems? The name of the poems no, that they did. <laughs> Satellite poem. <laughs> Constantly, and then they, you know, they they just have characters read amusing poems. So you can have a jovial, weird episode that ends with that, you know, threatening clock there. Uh, and then you get a goofy poem at the end with Best Girl talking about how <laughs> much she loves food. Chizuko uh, is, of course, Best Girl. <laughs> but but so the, it goes into these things wherein I'm like, okay, you could possibly sell these harder, uh, like, you know, conflict. What did alien visitation mean and uh, hiding it from the uh, world? But we, we have literally no investigation into it. It's just thrown at it in a weird way. And you have plenty of rom-com romps, the etchy or not, wherein you have the the video girl, the android girl, the other one who comes to be a, a goddess, as it were, who comes to serve as the uh, romantic uh, uh, you know, lead along with the protagonist uh, uh, and do stuff. But generally, the only kind of technological stuff they have going on is is something kind of like, uh, oh God, what is what is it? Uh, uh, like Doctor Slumpian, in a way. So you have your weird scientists doing stuff. You don't have your secret societies. You don't have your uh, alien in invasions that mean a thing you don't have a turn for a weirdly thing where your main character becomes a bounty hunter and uh <laughs> i'm just like what what are you doing all all of it was just so very damn weird uh they certainly couldn't decide what they wanted to do because they kept ending the seasons with this turn into the heavy plot and the drama and the action it was like oh well we need to throw more action in here so Therefore, we'll uh, we'll do this stuff off to the side, and there will be uh, you know some nice dramatic stuff to it. But I don't see how you can sell any investment into that. I mean, the the whole uh, Vesper had had so many remnants of like nerve and uh, Evangelion stuff going on with, with uniform designs and some of the character designs. I. I they they were throwing a lot of things around, but that's really yeah, all they well, were doing. I mean, they were throwing fair, a lot of things could, around. Always could have been worse. One still of came the back to do jokes, original so, story uh, creators was Bo Titama, who loves his pee jokes. So I mean, at least we didn't have that. 
But uh, yeah, no, this this was definitely weird. Uh, I can find Maharomatic herself cute, but the <laughs> show overall is it's not one that I'm going to be recommending to anyone uh, unless they are so close to to wanting. I will certainly recommend and have plastic memories and and other stuff as much as you know. I may not have invested. In the uh, in the overall storyline and other stuff, at least at least they did something with the uh, with the limited lifespan there. And in Maharomatic, it was kind of blown all at once at the very end, where it didn't even matter because you you come out at the end and in the last couple episodes after she has to uh, have a big fight to save. Minawa and, and Misato and, and uh, folks from the evil scientist who was capturing her, she blows a lot of her lifespan doing that. And uh, it, it gives it an end, like her remaining days left is unknown. So, like, ah. But she blows herself up in the end. and It doesn't matter how many days left you have at, at that point. If your only way through an encounter is to nuke yourself, then... Uh, you didn't get much play out of it. You, you just got that heightened tension at the end, but the release would have been the same as doing it, you know, with, with without it, uh, without stating that she had no time left. At that point, there was nothing more to do. She she was hiding Misato off, off in the... Where the heck were they? They're in some ancient ruins. So she was trying to hide him across the world to keep him out of the conflict. <laughs> and then when she stopped working, he was going to be stuck out in the jungle with, with no food. That was a little weird. <laughs> but yeah, it, uh, it was not, uh, not something that I, that I ever felt I could settle into in any of its modes, especially because of uh, Shikijo Sensei specifically. I could be, I think the 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 most abused I was by it was just how many you know actual nipples this show. Yeah, I think showed. it was just a time period because you don't get this that a whole lot a in, in anime that was anymore. And like, a was it just a time, time period, or so... was there? You know, I just think that in that time frame of the, you know, late of the 90s and early 2000s, nudity was just a little bit more prevalent. And there was plenty of that. Plenty of excuses for it. Bathhouse scenes and bathing scenes. If... If at the end of episode one and with uh, her joining Misato, with Mahara joining Misato uh, in the bath, not not like the scrubbing his back kind of thing, actually getting into the tub with him. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, you know, full full nudity. Well, I mean, not, not frontal, uh, down low, as it were, that... That's always banned, but uh, <laughs> definitely very, very nipple-laden and other stuff. I'm like, well, this is the ending of episode one, so... Okay. Did you have any other I suppose that had set a tone of sorts. you wanted to hit on? And it did. Uh... The... When we were talking about the studios before, I did kind of wonder, you know, I assume that Gynax had the larger uh, uh, push in it, as it were, because the director was somehow of Wings of Honey Mise, uh, <laughs> Magical Shopping District Abenabashi, and a tiny little show no one's heard of called uh, uh -huh. Gurren Lagann. Well, <laughs> which, which is where I think the the action uh, chops came from. But I did not detect, you know, like I said, I, I didn't really detect shaft quality to it. So there, there was much more of a Gynax feel 
I mean, what what I associate Shaft with is usually very, very good looking, very well animated, very experimental. And there wasn't much of that there. There was more experimental with witchcraft works, I think, in the way that things were in, envisioned. Uh, yeah. Some some parts of it came across as you know Madoka Magica like, which of course Shaft. So, <laughs> so uh, it was de- it was definitely uh, weird overall from that respect. Uh, I don't I don't know. There's there's not too much more that I can think about the show specifically. <laughs> I do have an interesting uh, scale figure of uh, Mahro next to a motorcycle. Somehow, I kept I kept waiting. She pulled her you know her wings out and she would fly around like crazy here and there. I kept waiting for her to get a uh, you know a giant red motorcycle or something <coughs> like that. I'm like, how did she have a? I didn't see it in there unless I missed it. Was there a? Uh... I don't remember seeing one. I mean, she had a car. I think that was my favorite thing in one of the early ones. She she and uh, Misato go on a date, and of course, Shikijo-sensei has to intrude. She's chasing them <laughs> on her little, little scooter, but basically, uh, Maho reveals, hey, I'm 19, I have a driver's license, I have a freaking sports car. <laughs> and, and they just go burning down the highway to... Uh, to some other place to go on a date. I was like, well, that was a weird pull. <laughs> but it was definitely entertaining. So, all right. Well, then let's, let's go ahead and wrap things up on that note. Uh, thank you very much again for joining me on this podcast and discussing anime with me. It's always a fun time. Sure. So we'll be back again next month. Uh, We haven't decided on which shows we're going to watch yet because the holiday season is approaching and we're not sure how much time we're going to have, but we will definitely get these recommendations figured out and we'll announce them on social media once we have it all settled and figured out. Uh, So until then, thanks very much and have a great night, everybody. Goodbye, folks.